Welcome to another edition of Lamenting the Lease. I'm Cam McCachron, joined as always by my co-hosts Nick Richard and Keith Whipple. Uh, gentlemen, uh, the game against Seattle on Monday, I, I missed the first two periods. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to fire up a stream early in the third, and I'm catching up on our group chat. <laughs> and frankly, doom and gloom is an understatement. Uh, it's it's horrible shift. Bad play. This guy sucks. Put Muzzin on the LTIR. And then my stream loads, and I see the score. 5-1 Leafs. <laughs> so I just wanted to start this episode by asking, fellas, is everything okay? It was definitely, it was, it was definitely the most... I don't think we celebrated one goal in, in like a, the form of a bunch of exclamation points or like a woo or something in the chat. It was just nothing until Hall did something stupid and then a bunch of bad words. Well, for one, as Leafs fans, misery is our natural state. Mm-hmm. And two, I think like that game just kind of underscored the whole road trip and the fact that hockey is a ridiculously stupid game. Like the Leafs played pretty well and dominated the shot clock in the two games prior and come away with zero points. They have arguably their sloppiest game of the road trip against Seattle and mm-hmm. come away with a 6-2 win. So yeah, it, it, we were definitely uh, misleading you a bit with uh, our conversation in the group chat there last night. I'm going to also chalk it up on like the late, you know, late start. We didn't necessarily have a ton of energy going in there, but it, it definitely was like I've been more happy walking away from a game after a loss than I was from from that game last night, and it was a blowout. It, it, it um, might have been some carryover from the Saturday game against Vancouver. The frustration too, of that. Yeah. I, I I said as much on Twitter. Like I should not have been so angry after a game that the Leafs fired what like fifty three shots on goal. Yeah, they they pretty much controlled that entire game, but it was just incredibly frustrating that they they weren't able to beat Demko. And I don't even think that they really made him have to be as good as maybe some others made him out to be on Saturday. They didn't really get inside and generate a lot of chaos around the net, just really make Demko have to battle. But yeah, it was just a really frustrating game that probably carried over a bit into the, the Seattle game. Well, the shot clock was frustrating. And and the other thing I think that I noticed, like I just watched the highlights of the last few games from the road trip uh, again, just to kind of refresh myself. And there were a lot of like just frustrating goals against too. Like not just the fact that you're yeah. you're peppering these guys and you can't get anything going for yourself, but like the the Calgary like set play goal. Um, the, oh, was the, it three goals the, in under three minutes that they gave up? They basically pissed that game away in in a span of three minutes. The JT Miller goal uh, from the Canucks game. Like there there have been a few goals um like Nylander had a, a rotten play right on the and against Seattle was it for their first one yeah um yeah. I mean like there have just been some really ugly plays which I feel like kind of just compounds it when you're not getting the results which again to be clear the Leafs lost two in a row for the third time this season that those are the not getting the results we're talking <laughs> exactly. about here just so we're all on the same page well I, one thing quick on that Nylander play I I'm I know I'm in the minority here but Something that I think I've I've liked and I've seen other people comment on is the Leafs' unwillingness to just fire the puck down the ice and give up possession, especially when they're trying to get a change. 99% of the time, he rims that back behind the net and it goes to the defenseman and they get off and the new line comes on with possession and everybody's complimenting that play. Just because it hits a ref in the foot, I, I thought he kind of... 
I, I get that it's dumb to throw the puck back in your own end when you're tired. But I also know that they're being coached to do that. And that's clearly like a, a like a shift in what they're trying to do. It's been like that for the last few years. I I wasn't as upset as the rest of the, the internet seemed to be at Nylander on that goal. Well, I'll argue your point on that one. I think that Nylander's got to take a look there, for one. Uh, the defensemen weren't, yeah. weren't back. The the two D-men were gone to the bench to change. It was Tavares retreating behind the net to, to go get that rim around. And at the end of a shift like that one, where you've been hemmed it in, was an awful way, shift. just get the fucking puck out, man. Like If yeah. you've got to you know, stay out there winded for another face-off, so be it. But get that fucking puck out. And I, I, yeah. I mean, you're right. 99% of the time, nothing comes out of that. It, it doesn't hit the referee on the way around. Tavares, you know, turns around, goes back and gets the puck and, and they're out. But it didn't turn out that way. And it, and while it might it not be... It was bad. O- optics were off. <laughs> yeah. I just think like in that situation, when you've been hemmed in like that, you just got to get it out. Yeah. Been a tough stretch for Campbell. Um, I, I mean, really like going back like, um, you know, a month now, I guess, more or less, right? Like, it's it's not been... Basically, since they came back from COVID, right? Like, yeah. It, 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 you could argue it affected him more than anyone. Rocking a 9.03-ish right now in February, four games. Um, I, I guess the thing with Campbell is, like, you'd just like to see him kind of settle in, right? Like, we talked about this, I think, a little bit on the last podcast, but, like, he, he was just, he was red hot, bailing them out in some games that they didn't deserve to win early in the season, and now... Uh, you know, it, it's been the team winning for him in in some aspects, right? And and um, I I just you kind of want to know what your baseline is going to be going into the playoffs here. And I, I don't think that uh, goaltending help is on the to do list either way because you, you've got Mrazek. But um, the the split is going to be interesting if, if Campbell can't kind of get back on the horse here. Like, do you see a, like a 60-40 split the rest of the way or is it still going to, do you think, still kind of be where, what it's been all year? I think that they want to get Mrazic going just because they really need to have that insurance card in their wallet. But mm-hmm. but I, I still think that getting Jack back to where he was or at least closer to where he was in the first half of the season is, is you know, going to be a, a, the real priority here. He's the guy, the, the saying is dance with the one that brought you. And to this point, Jack is the one that's got them there. And really, he's been one of the best goaltenders in the NHL for over a calendar year now. So it's not just some small sample size. It, it may, he may have been playing above his head. He's probably not a 935, 940 goaltender. But I think you, he's going to be at his best once he gets back into that rhythm, as you're kind of alluding to there, Cam. So I think giving him a solid run of games over the next few weeks while still keeping Mrazek active, which shouldn't be a problem because the, the upcoming schedule is pretty jam-packed. I think that's going to be important, just getting Jack's confidence back and just getting him back into a rhythm. I, I just wanted to mention this because I, I kind of had the thought on our last pod and I didn't bring it up, but he, he's still been really good. Jason Spezza, um, he's rebounded nicely because like after the suspension and the COVID shutdown, like he, he was kind of uh, slow coming around a little bit, but he's been really, really good, especially obviously on the power play, making things happen there. Yeah. But uh, he stood out a bit. Yeah. Funneling through that right, the right side on the, on the power play. It's like, it's automatic. It seems like when they can get it over to him in space, something good's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually kind of strange. I saw something the other day. Um, if I remember correctly, I, I believe it said that Jason Spezza hasn't recorded a primary assist at, at five versus five this year. And last season, he was third on the team in primary points uh, per 60 minutes at even strength, just behind Austin Matthews and Mitch Mariner. So it, it, he has been productive on the power play and 
pretty much automatic when he gets a little bit of space on that right flank to wind up. But it, he has been a little less impressive at even strength this year. I think we've said it before, his preferred spot or the, the probably the team's preferred spot to play him would be on the wing. And I think that he's been saddled with a bit more responsibility down low in the defensive zone, playing center on that fourth line. That might be an area they look to address uh, ahead of the deadline as well. I know a lot of the talk's been about the defense, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But I've liked Spets's game. I think he's still a really valuable member of the team, but hasn't been quite as dominant at even strength this year. And uh, Mitch Marner, who, you know, we talked about the goal streak on our last episode. Obviously, that ended in Calgary and he didn't score in Vancouver. He was held off the off the score sheet entirely in those two games, but uh, got back in a big way against Seattle. Uh, goal and two assists. And I think it might have been Mike Kelly who had kind of a little breakdown on just the way that Marner's been shooting the puck uh, during that streak mm-hmm. and sense and the way he's just getting it off his, his stick so quickly. And you saw that again against uh, Seattle on Monday. Um, dude's been just lighting it up, so that's been great to see. Yeah, he kind of feels like he's playing some of the best hockey we've we've seen him play, and it sucks that it always has to come with the caveat that it comes with. But at the same time, like they like he can't do anything about that right now, and so I mean, it just you're silly if you're not enjoying it because of the grudge that you're holding from last year. And I was very much guilty of holding that grudge. For yeah, a I was going to ask which caveat. Do you mean the contract or the playoffs? But thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you nailed it there, Keith. Uh, no, no matter how you feel about Mariner or or what he's done in the past, if you're not enjoying what he's doing right now, you're kind of selling yourself short as a Leafs fan because he, he's been incredible. You could argue that he's been the, the best player in the NHL over the last month. And it's it's been remarkable to see the the way that he's kind of adjusted to, as you guys said, just getting the, the puck on net a little quicker, more deception. I think you said it on Twitter, Keith, if you can't shoot harder, shoot quicker. And he's definitely been yeah. been doing that. And it's paid off. What has he got? 22 points in the last 11 games, 11 and 11. Like, and 11 and 11, too. He's scoring goals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the power play as well. Uh, another one against Seattle on Monday night. Yeah, he, he's been aces. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. And I think like the. The power play is like I don't know if we want to talk about that enough, but it's it's insane. Yeah, like, it's, we, we don't it's talk about it. Historically good. It's weird that we don't. Eh? Like I I feel like because they had such a huge struggle last year at the end of the year and into the playoffs and stuff. Like I don't know if we're just not realizing it because of that, or if if we don't want to like collectively jinx it. Well, it's kind of the same on, thing with Mariner, right? Like maybe it should th- be a bigger story. <laughs> well, maybe the power play people are hesitant to you know put too much faith into the power play, even as dominant as it has been, just because uh, you know what we saw in the second half last year and into the playoffs. And it, it could be the same thing with Mariner, where p- people just aren't ready to totally buy in and forgive yet, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's power. I mean, it's it's really all the special teams, right? Like the penalty kill has been outstanding. And talking about Mariner, like an incredible setup. Obviously, we didn't even talk about that yet uh, against Seattle, uh, setting yeah. up uh, David Camp. Like that was beautiful stuff that we've obviously seen before. But um, seen man, it they, they, with the London Knights, they not can, the NHL. No, no. They, but they can <laughs> yeah. they can pound it down your throat on on the penalty kill as soon as you slip up, right? And we've seen a lot of that this season. Um, you know, just the the way that they push the pace uh, a man short, it, you know, it's it's must be terrifying if you're a power play unit. So, um, yeah, the, the, the special teams period, I mean, 
power play obviously has been great, but special teams ha- have been a huge boon for the Leafs so far this season, for sure. So I wanted to bring something up because I think we had kind of a divergence of opinions on this a little bit. And, and from that Calgary game, the big hit from Nikita Zadorov on uh, Leafs forward Andre Kasha, who left the game at that point and appears to be fine. Um, I, man, this guy is like... <laughs> I, I just don't even he like he, he's got Humpty Dumpty aspects, but then he's got like uh, he's got like a bit of Deadpool to him, too, where he's just completely like put together with, you know, strings. And I, I like I don't know how that guy just keeps rolling out there the way that he gets beat around. But, um, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of problem with the hit. I, I thought that it was a penalty. Um, yeah. But I also don't really know, like, you know, Kasha kind of tried to try to kind of dart back inside when he realized that Zadorov was bearing down on him. And, and you know, he, he kind of put himself in a bit of a vulnerable position. And I know that, you know, NHL wants to crack down on headshots. And if you're going to do that, then you, you got to penalize them, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, whether it's intentional or not. But uh, but I, I just, you know, I didn't think that it was particularly targeted or malicious or anything like that. I understand the, the call for a penalty on the play. I, I just, you know, I didn't think that it rose to the level of, of um, you know, supplemental discipline or anything like that. Yeah, I just think it was a, a hockey play that had an unfortunate outcome more than anything. As you said, I don't think there was any malicious intent. I, I really think that Zadorov made a nice read to step up and get in Kasha's way like that. Uh, not to blame the victim, but you know, you've got to keep your head up. And as Ailish Forfar from the Fan 590 pointed out, I didn't even really notice this because I was so taken back by the hit. You just don't really see big hits like that very often anymore. But Pierre Engvall absolutely sewered Kasha with a, that suicide pass right before yeah, the hit. Terrible suicide pass. And you know, I think he's as much to blame as anyone on the play. Uh, just you know, overall, really just glad that Kasha was able to come back. They kept him out that night, just precautionary. Yeah, with his history, totally makes sense. But he, he was back on the ice the next day, feeling fine. Hasn't missed a game since. So. You know, thankfully, that's how it turned out. It could have been a lot worse. But yeah, I I really had no problem with the hit myself. Yeah. And there's a, you know, you got a couple of games in a row with with some kind of scary head stuff with one being Matthews too. Yeah. Kind of, kind of getting out of those unscathed was, you know, when both of them kind of looked like they might, might have some bad news down the pipe kind of thing. And I I know, yeah, we, we kind of debated the, the, the Dorov hit a little bit, but I think, we were all kind of saying the same thing. We were just saying it in different ways. Like I was, I was maintaining like that was a headshot, like whether it was intentional or not, the only thing he made contact with was his head. But at the same time, the intent, the intent wasn't there. Like there was, I don't think he picked his head, like, you know, aimed for it or anything. He stayed pretty straight. He didn't lean one way or the other. Kasha leaned more than Zadorov did. Exactly. I I just think that it's one of those things that like, you know, it's a Homer thing. If it's Jake Muzzin that's laying someone out like that, stepping yeah. up at the blue line, you don't hear a single Leafs fan calling for a suspension or anything like that. So, I mean, we're all a little bit biased, obviously. Like, we all cheer for this team and we all want them to do well. Never like to see guys on your own team going down like that. But, yeah, I just – I didn't think it was a bad hit. No, exactly. And, yeah, I mean, you, you want guys – you like, you don't want – I don't want to see – those big open ice hits like leave the game yeah, or anything exactly. like that too. So that's the part of the reason why, yeah, they're, 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 it was the right overall outcome, but they're definitely, I feel, still should have been a, a penalty on the play. 
because that that is just is the rule like yeah. there's no there's no there's no like taking into consideration did he mean to or not like if you trip a guy accidentally it's still tripping yeah so like i that that was my my point was that it should have been but you're right like you do want to see a guy like muzzin stepping up and making a hit like that although it would probably end in a separated shoulder at this point <laughs> which might not be the worst thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, one thing that wasn't really up for debate with the zadorov hit on kasha was i think we all loved the response from Morgan Riley afterwards. He's not typically yeah. known for that sort of thing. And Zadorov had, I don't know, what, six inches on him and I don't know how many pounds, but, you know, he, he didn't hold back. He went straight after him. And w- even though I thought it was a clean hit, I still like to to see you stick up for your guys like that. It's j- the way it should be. All right. Anything else we want to talk about from the last few games or can we move on? Tie Justin Hall to a rocket, send him to the sun. Anything? <laughs> well, oh, wait, wait, wait. We should uh, call in friend of the show, uh, Jake Beliefs. I, th- I think he might have Hall's RAPM chart handy. <laughs> yeah, good shot, show. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the only thing we haven't, we didn't really talk about like the the Carolina game, right? Like we haven't recorded since then. A couple of interesting storylines. Like that's what a situation in that game where, like, I feel like Mrazic's numbers don't really show that you know the the full story like i think he had a 9-0 something in that game but you know he he looked pretty damn good for extended periods of that game as well yeah he made saves when he had to make them too i think was was the real key gave them a chance to to claw back into it and uh, the goalie in the other net who we're all too familiar with gave them a chance to claw back into it too oh, so yeah just a an egregious vintage, rebound from freddie on that vintage freddie anderson yeah. yeah that was going four feet wide <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was ugly. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a great game. Like that was that was yeah, uh, that was an awesome hockey game. Back and forth. Like that's a yeah. great team. Obviously, over there. Like that. That's a team that. Uh, I mean, you know, if if the Leafs are fortunate enough to win a couple of rounds, you could very well find yourself running into. Um, in in the conference final god forbid the leafs actually get that far um but i i mean that that was yeah that was just a great game between two really solid teams and uh and yeah we're we're all too familiar with how how things went at the end um, I, I, you just said God forbid the Leafs make it that far. I think God I think has he means forbid for like his, them to make it that far. I, I think he just means for like his mental health oh. and ner- ner- nervous system. I, well, I mean, again, we, I, I'm talking about I'm talking about a five one lead, and we're shitting ourselves. I, I don't know if, if <laughs> yeah. the Leafs getting to the conference final is going to be the best thing for everyone's health, mental and Point physical. Um, yeah. Let's talk some trades. We, we kind of got into this a little bit last week, but we wanted to get a little more specific. And, and I just kind of wanted to throw this this out there for you because like, we talked about this in the past, certainly because last year, um, you know, the moves that the Leafs ended up making, really the last few years, and, you know, Kyle Dubas has kind of displayed, displayed his philosophy on this, which is, you know, you reward the team for what they've put in during the season. Like if, you know, the team has played well enough to, to deserve – um, you know, a big ad, then then you go and you reward with you reward them with that. Um, and I'm not super keen on a rental. I, I don't think that you guys really are either. And I know that they're they're trying to look into something with you know more term. That's that's where the focus would be. And it's hard to kind of speculate on on that because it's a lot easier to figure out what the rental market is rather than you know what guys could randomly move that you were never expecting. But um, as much as this team has done to deserve an ad this season, the question I have for you is this, does the team's history force you to reconsider at all and say, you know, 
this is a COVID year. This is a great division. We take a shot at it with what we have. We don't deplete our assets where, you know, we can see a situation where we, you know, despite all of the pressure, despite all the expectations, the Leafs could still fall in round or one or two very easily. Um, so, you know, do you, do you keep your assets, keep your features, maybe try to make a small upgrade or two, uh, but no need to swing for the fences? Or are you trying to go all in on this? Obviously, very good team and and just, you know, try to try to add the best piece you can or, or, or try to, to complement them the best you can. Where do you sit on that? Well, I think that's a really layered question that probably requires a really layered answer. I think, you know, in a normal year, you'd really be taking into account what an addition like that or a move like that might mean off ice to, you know, just the, the vibe in the room and and what they have going on there leadership wise and things like that. All that stuff matters. Um, I think this year with the fact that there is such a, a glaring need on the blue line, I think that you've kind of got to go all in to a point like you're looking you're obviously looking to maximize your value and the return on your assets. So I think you just kind of keep hunting for the best deal that, that makes the most sense both now and moving forward. I know that's kind of a cop out, but it, it, it is something that, you know, all GMs have to balance and really weigh when they're making those decisions. Um, that said, my focus would be really trying to maximize this team's chances this season. I think that we see how good this team is. We see that they can hang with the best in the league. I just think that they deserve that reward, as you said, Cam. And I think like going all in, I guess maybe just isn't the right terminology. Maybe because a like I don't think the the big name pieces that are getting thrown around out there are the are a great fit you know, from the fact that they, they're pretty set down the left side and they do need help on the right side. And you got guys like Chickren and, and, you know, Giordano and these names that are, you know, would definitely be big ads um, with obviously Giordano's return probably being a lot less, but still like, they just don't have, they're not guys that play on the, on the right side. And, And I think that that's really all the team needs right now, apart from just some kind of depth pieces that you'd want to shore up before the playoffs. But I, I don't think it needs to be looked at as a, we need to go out and get like a uh, top flight right-handed shot, top four defenseman. You just have to upgrade on Justin Hall. That's, that's it. Like look at it that way as, cause as opposed to saying like, we know we need to go out and get a bona fide, you know, right shot defenseman that plays at the top four. That is what they're going to do. But I, I just, if that makes any sense, it, they don't, you don't have to be kind of swinging for the fences there. As long as you feel comfortable, that guy's going to come in and, and provide more for the team than Justin Hall. So whether it's a, you know, uh, a Mark Pissick or a Calvin DeHaan or somebody of that ilk that's not going to, you know, empty the cupboards to acquire like a Klingberg would. would. Um, I, I think that that's probably the, the the route they should go. We've talked about Scott Mayfield before. I think that that's a, another, you know, reasonable target. It's just becoming clear that Hall's not somebody that you can have. I won't go as far to say in the lineup for game one, but definitely not in the top four playing the minute eating position that he's playing right now. And Cam, you had a good point. I'll, I'll let you kind of explain it, but just about the potential of kind of a, of flipping 
you know, Muzzin and, and Sandine and what that could maybe look like. Yeah. So I, I kind of touched on this last week um, in terms of if you're looking for a defender, don't focus so much on who you can get to play with Jake Muzzin. Maybe the focus should be more on who's going to replace Jake Muzzin because, you know, the injuries have been a recurring issue. He's he's not getting any younger. Um, you know, it, it's getting to that point where as much as he was a great addition at the time, um, you know, the 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 way the tread on the tires. Right. So who, who can you go out and, and, you know, don't try to focus on, on, you know, maybe a playmaker for for Muzzin, you know, maybe like the way that Muzzin's been going this season, maybe the best play is to bump him down um and and play him with you know Lilligren or Hall, and then you've got Sandine on your second pair with whatever your new addition is. If you can go out and get a uh, you know whether that's a Josh Manson or that's someone with a little more term, um, someone who's a legit top four guy, and that way you you have just a, a really solid one through six, um, mm-hmm. and then you kind of worry about it in the off season. And you know I, I I guess like another question that I have here on Muzzin like kind of mentioned this briefly off the top and you guys as I said we're talking about it in the group chat last night LTIR uh, we're seeing Mark Stone getting put on the, the long term injured reserve for the Vegas Golden Knights in order to get Jack Eichel back in the fold uh, or in the fold I guess in the first place with him coming back from injury after being acquired by the Knights um, wh- where do you stand on that with, with the Leafs like obviously things are tight on the cap you would create so much more room if if Muzzin goes on LTIR and then it would definitely make sense to get uh, a top four guy both from the perspective of you know we can accommodate the salary and also you know we need to be sure that um, you know we've got a top four in place and we can bring Muzzin back off the LTIR at the start of the playoffs and not have to throw him right back into that you know number three defenseman type of role that that he's been occupying so um, I don't know where, where I would go with that Keith. No I was gonna say I think if that is the case and you do see something like that where Muzzin gets put on LTIR and, and that frees up the, the extra cap space I don't I think at that point then you're you're still trying to get the same type of defenseman that I was talking about before, like one of these guys that can come in around a couple of million dollars um, that that are an, a, a tangible upgrade on Hall. And but then if you know Muzzin's coming back in the playoffs, then I, then I'm upgrading at forward as well and, and seeing what's sniffing around and what's out there. I don't think that that's a necessary move as we as it stands right now. Like I I, I mentioned before, I think if they if they can get some maybe some center depth, you know, they're they're an injury away from you know moving either camp camp up or putting Kerfoot back at center, which I don't think are optimal ideas either way. So that's something that you, you might want to consider too, but I, I still don't know. And, and I think it's because of, there's just a lack of targets in my mind that, that kind of fit the mold of a guy that you break the bank for right now. I, I still, I just think there's enough cheap value depth out there that you can look at and say that this guy makes the team better than if Hall was in his place. Well, as far as the LTIR thing for Muzzin, I think that the Leafs preference would be, you know, given what might be available to them out there on the trade market. I think the preference would be to have Muzzin, you know, stay healthy and return to form and get back to playing the way that he played last year when he was, you know, you can make the case he was the team's best defenseman. But the reality is that that might not, be the Leafs decision like like we were earnestly discussing that in the group chat during the the Seattle game when Muzzin went to the room just before the first intermission like it's gotten to that point where another injury 
that could be it for Jake Muzzin at this point. I know it sounds extreme, but the the wear and tear that he's had in the last few seasons and and just how much time he's spent on injured reserve already. And And the way that injuries too. Yeah. Significant injuries. And it's, it's clearly impacted his game. He has not been the same player this season. Um, In terms of what to do for an addition on the blue line, I think the, the theme that, I kind of was hearing when you guys were discussing it was it's more about the fit and it kind of lines up with something that I've been saying on this show for a while is the pieces on the back end don't really fit perfectly right now. And I I think that that's what it's going to come down to with whatever Dubas is looking to do ahead of the deadline. Um, If you can find someone to play with Sandine who knocks Hall down or if you find that piece to go alongside Muzzin that knocks Lilligren down, it, you might be able to make those pieces fit a little bit better in your bottom four and then just kind of play the matchups a little bit rather than saddling Muzzin and Hall with that specific shutdown role where they're asked to do so much because, they, frankly, they haven't been able to handle that this year. And I think if, if let's say, I don't think this is going to happen. Like I think they're going to make an addition. But let's say that, that they stand pat and they don't do anything or they add to the forward group. I would have a long look over the next dozen games of flipping Lilligren and Hall, and that it's simply because of what you just said, like the fit thing. Like, I, well, I just we think saw you Keith go back to it against similar, Seattle. Right? Yeah, he did it last night. Yeah, and, and Hall I just has looked a lot better alongside Sandine while Muzzin was out. Exactly, and you just have two two pairings right now with the same type of player to an extent on it, right? Yeah. Like two big kind of slow. Uh, you know, shut down air quote kind of guys, and then you have two mobile young guys that that can kind of move the puck and skate out of the trouble. Like if you if you split the difference there, and then you don't task one of them with the heavy load that Muzzin and Hall get tasked through now, and you kind of spread that around a little bit, I think that's just. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a, a surefire bet there, but I think it's something that you should at least look at considering how much it's not working the way it is right now. So let's throw around some names, um, and we'll just start with one that's probably pie in the sky, but Jacob Chikrin, uh, you know, that, that's kind of been dragging out throughout the season with uh, Arizona. Sounds like he's going to be on the move, um, whether it's before the deadline or the offseason, uh, we'll see. But it sounds like there are obviously plenty of suitors. That's a, a fantastic young defenseman. Um, well, and the return that the Habs just got for Toffoli helped everyone's case who's looking into buying Shikran, I would say. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, different situations, obviously, but, you know, you're looking at a guy with term. Um, I, I think that a defenseman's going to get you more of a premium, but um, yeah, for I, sure. I think that... And, and Shikran's a higher caliber player, I should point out. Obviously, just, yeah. And, and, a lot just, and a lot younger. Yeah, yeah just saying the, the return that Montreal got wasn't good. <laughs> We had, we had to fit that in. Yes, I did, just, had, just had to get that in there. So, like, do you, I, I got to think that Dubas would be at least kicking tires on, on Chikrin. I, I don't see how you don't on a player like that. And especially, you know, the situation like we've kind of discussed with, with Muzzin where, you know, you could possibly bring in another kind of sandpaper, tough minutes, you know, heavy kind of defenseman and obviously a young one who, who could be part of this and, and, you know, fits in nicely with the age of the group too, right? I, I don't know how... Did he not lead NHL defenseman in goals last season as well? Um, that sounds right. He... Um, yeah, he, he's a really nice player, and, and I don't know how you could possibly make it work, but like that that would be the kind of 
swing that I would like to see rather than, you know, a, like a rental ad or I mean, I, I, I do want to just see like that that upgrade on Hall. It doesn't need to be a big one. But, um, you know, if the Leafs are going to make a big ad, uh, the, that would be the guy that I'd be all over. He has played some right side, too. I'm just having a look at it right now here. Like he's played about 25 percent or no, sorry, a little more than that, actually. So uh, that that's been I've been kind of bullish on that just because of what I, I know it's easy and it might be something that you know in my opinion anyways like the kind of armchair GM throwing together teams on you know online kind of maybe get wrong is is that you know not paying as much attention to that uh, of kind of guys that are comfortable playing in certain positions especially on their offside we, we you know Brody's a perfect example of it like it's definitely possible but look at what happened when Muzzin came over. Not only, I mean, not only did it not work out for the few games that they tried it, but it also caused a bit of like some sound bites from Babcock and, you know, not being super pleased with the fact that he wasn't a right shot defenseman that Dubas acquired and Muzzin very clearly stepping in and saying, I'm not playing the right side. Like, I think that's just got to be something. It's not a hard stop just because he's left-handed, but it's got to be something that's discussed that is this a guy that if we bring over can play on the right side. Because again, unless Muzzin's going on LTIR, there's not really... I mean, I guess you make room for a player of that quality, but I, in a perfect world, if you're if you're breaking the bank for a guy, he's gotta he's gotta be able to play on the right side because they're just they're they're pretty short on that. Well, in all honesty, if the Leafs are acquiring Jacob Shikran, there's a good chance that Rasmus Sandin is a part of that package, or Timothy Lilligren is. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it might not sound overly appealing. I know we all get attached to our own guys, but when you're talking about a player of Shikran's caliber age and contract value it it, yeah it's going to cost something to get him yeah no doubt about that um so i I think it's pretty unlikely but who knows it would be a dandy little ad like just the exact thing that the leafs need but yeah the price is going to be prohibitive most likely um well especially considering how good his deal is Yeah. yeah yeah for sure um what other names do we like, you know, whether it's I think we'll probably be focused on the blue line, but um, who, who else are you guys kind of uh, eyeing as we head towards the, the deadline? Um, I'm still kind of not in love with David Camp as a third line center. Now, I, I know that I'm probably going to get flamed for that because I think he has been really effective in the role that he's been asked to play. But kind of getting back to the the Spezza thing and shifting him back over to the wing, I wonder how much more dangerous this forward group would look with another third line center that would push Camp down to the fourth line. And you, you'd obviously still deploy him in those defensive minutes and use him in, in a similar way. It would just kind of give Keefe some more options for offense up front, I think. That's still a spot that I'd be looking at. I don't think it's a, a requirement by any means. It, you know, the forward group has obviously worked out pretty well in, in its current form. Um, but yeah, I'd still be kind of poking around that market. Names? Um, I'd be calling Chicago about Dylan Strom. I just think that he's had kind of an up and down tenure there. He's been in and out of the lineup. Obviously it's it's a bit of a red flag, but I I think, you know, if, if you're asking him to play on a third line with some speedy guys like Andre Kasha and Ilya Mikheyev, 
he's got the offensive brain and the hands and stuff like that to kind of get those guys into scoring positions or take advantage of the chances that they can create with their speed. Just think it would help insulate the offense a little bit more to, to add a player of, of that ilk. And I think he's someone that, that might be out there on the market with the way things have gone for Chicago and the way that things have gone for him in Chicago. Well, that that is perfect because the guy that I've been starting to kind of come around on quite a bit is Dahan and they're on the same team. So just make it a part of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Get them both. So I agree with you that again, I I mentioned just a minute ago, like center depth is something that I I, I think, you know, should get addressed, will get addressed. But um, at the same time, like I, again, I just feel like what you just mentioned is probably the right type of target where it's not going to cost a whole lot because I don't, they just don't have that many bullets so it's it's not going to be like a huge name like I saw in the athletic article about who says no like the hurdles name getting thrown around like they're they're not going to get a player of that quality knowing that that's going to pretty much empty all that they have in both cap space and and kind of picks and, and prospects and stuff so I think you could look at a Dahan Strom type of package or something like that you know with a different set of defense like with you know mayfield and some sort of uh, you know depth piece from the islanders or something like that that's that's probably uh, ide- an ideal that's more world. likely what we're it, going to see yeah. it's it's and i think it's the right move too like i don't think it makes sense to go get one of these like sexy rental names right now it's just like it's a Klingberg or a manson or, or someone or, like that exactly or or in the forward side too like yeah there, there's some name you know what i mean so um yeah, Dahan's a guy with that. That again, you know, I admittedly haven't watched a shitload of Chicago Blackhawks games this year, and this is what kind of scares you when you're when you just kind of like evaluate guys on paper. Is that Justin Hall looks pretty good on paper if you just look at his fancies? So that's something to be to be cautious of too. But luckily, the Leafs employ pro scouts and not me, um, so I'm sure they know what they're doing there. But Dahan's a guy that at least looks attractive to me um for a fit from a fit standpoint yeah and in an ideal world like dylan strome isn't my perfect acquisition for the leafs like I, obviously i'd be looking for more of a two-way presence who can chip in at both ends of the ice but just going by what has been rumored to you know potentially be out there on the trade market i, I think that that kind of player that just kind of maybe adds a bit more secondary scoring to the lineup is something that should be considered if they're able to make a kind of a cheap upgrade on the blue line I'm just going to throw out a couple of names. One of them is kind of piggy, piggybacking off of you, Keith, a little bit. I think that you mentioned this guy and, and sent along his uh, his charts. Uh, Ilya Lubushkin from uh, the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, just a 27-year-old defenseman who, you know, has got got a bit of edge, good defensive impacts. Um, tried to catch a little bit of a Coyotes game recently to get a look at him. And, and I mean, not surprisingly, they were in – in their own zone uh, a lot of the time when he was on the <laughs> yeah, ice, which is hard to kind of judge when it's the Coyotes, you know? But, um, I mean, it seemed like a, just a, a good net front presence, physicality kind of guy. Like, I I, I don't want to spend any, you know, great amount of assets getting one of those guys, but I, I do want someone who brings a little bit more, um, you know, net front presence and, and a little bit more of a, um, you know, just a, a little more physicality. And on that note, uh, bring back Luke Shen. <laughs> I, I have jerseys that need to be used. Uh, apparently, his fancy <laughs> stats are good. He looked good in Tampa. His his defensive his defensive underlying numbers are not horrific. Perfect number seven. They guy. certainly were against the Leafs the other night. Yeah, <laughs> that, the, I think the other night the uh, high danger shot attempts were like. 
four to twenty eight when he was on the ice. So <laughs> Halverson, notwithstanding that game, um, I, I, I I'm into that idea too. If the Leafs acquire Shen, Shen doesn't have to play against the Leafs. Problem solved. That's exactly Hall it. for Shen. Perfect. Hall for Shen. The human eraser. <laughs> Pull the trigger. Hey, hey, if Luke Shen's your seventh defenseman going into the playoffs, I'm I'm a okay with that. But if that's the only acquisition, I'm a little underwhelmed. No, yeah, but, but in all honesty, we've kind of I think everyone in Leafs Nation has kind of been pining for that Zach Bogosian replacement. And you know, just off the top of your head, that's, name a, a closer or a more similar player yeah. to Bogosian than than Luke Shen. No, you're right. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, over the next few weeks, obviously, Nick Ritchie was kind of um, his name was in the headlines over the last few days as well. Uh, who knows when when or if a deal will be worked out there before the offseason. But, um, yeah, he, he, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I mean, not very much value happening there regardless, but um, maybe we'll see some action in the next couple of weeks. It was definitely exciting to hear from Elliot Friedman that there may have been some traction on moving him out of town, whatever that means, but uh, it definitely, you know, better than the alternative. Yeah. And, and like, I, I, knowing that they've got some pieces, I think that are going to retrieve some assets. Like I, I think that there's going to be a bit of a shuffle in the off season. There might be a couple of trades that you might be able to retrieve some, some mid round, uh, you know, mid to higher picks and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if it's as big of a deal as I maybe originally thought to attach like a mid round pick to Richie. If that means that you can move them now and not retain any salary and not have to wait till the off season or something like that. Like if you can, you know, utilize his cap space now and, and it all, and it takes adding a, a, an asset to it, whether it's a, a kind of middling prospect or a mid round pick, I feel pretty confident in the, the, just with the way that they've been drafting seconds and thirds, like I'm, I'm not overly concerned if they have to give something up and deplete the resources a little bit because they've done a pretty good job of maximizing what you know the small amount of draft capital that they've had lately. Leo is going to eat you alive for conceding that after all this time. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> I never really it, it, my arguments all along were the off season, like moving them in the off season. Yeah. But if you're if you have to move them now. And it, and that's what it takes to move them now. Then then I would do that, but I wouldn't do that in the off season. I think somebody's going to take them for one year, um, you know, as a warm body and a not cap team that maybe wants a little bit of size or something like that. Like I think, I think he's movable in the off season, but I I just think right now maybe um, to kind of speed the process up, it, it might be worth it. Well, there is a little bit of a sense of urgency, right? Just because he's tying up cap space while providing nothing to the team, and the team's up against the cap and, I mean. and yeah. looking to you know add to this group and bolster their chances of having some playoff success so there is a bit of sense of urgency there in terms of moving Richie um, just wanted to quickly loop back before we move on to um, the Tyler Toffoli thing which you mentioned Nick uh, not a great return for the Habs at all I didn't think and it, like especially like I, I just kind of assumed he was a rental when I saw it. I didn't realize he had two more seasons at four point two five, which we you know we discussed that uh, before we started recording. And, and not that I thought it was a good deal, but like I, I, I very quickly reached this was a horrible deal level uh, <laughs> yeah. right before yeah. we started recording. When I realized yeah he had two more he has two more years, and the Flames probably traded like a number twenty two overall pick and you know some other stuff. To, to get a pretty good score. Um, so that's kind of... He's going to fit in really nicely there, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, back back under Sutter. And um, yeah, it's going to be a good 
play for them, I would think. And that that's kind of what you're running into if you're if you're Dubas right now is you're looking at, you know, the Flames get to Foley, the Avs are sniffing hard around Giroux. And, you know, how, how do you how do you kind of keep up in that arms race? Well, the, yeah. What does that do to like to, what does that do to Giroux's return? Like if you know, like I know Giroux's a better player than to Foley, but the two more years at 4.25, that's that's more value than trading for Giroux, I think. So like does that i mean are you looking like i've been having this conversation with leo because obviously he's a, a, a flyers fan but i've been of the kind of mindset that it's going to either be a top prospect or a first not both like i don't think Drew's going to get you know a team's number one or number two prospect and their first no. so knowing that that it, it was a first and was there another pick? Was it a first and something and the prospect in Cal? I know yeah, it was first like, and a third and Heineman. Tyler Pitlick. And, and, Pitlick and Tyler Pitlick. Like, yeah. yeah. And Heineman. So, I mean, Heineman's certainly not a top prospect. So, you're looking at, you know, a first and a first, first is really and a the, fifth, the, not a third. Some, so, like oh, basically so, yeah, nothing, you know? Okay, so, so, yeah. Like, that's it. Like, it's the first. It's the first and whatever you think the prospect is, basically. And not not super meaningful pieces after that. So, I don't see how Giroux all of a sudden gets a first and, you know, uh, whoever uh, that that's like a, a high end name. Well, the one thing that I wonder is if, you know, other GMs and, you know, the Flyers GM, I can't even remember who it is at the moment because they Fletcher. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff Fletcher. That's right. Um, Chuck. I, I just want it Chuck, Chuck Fletcher. Chuck Fletcher. Cliff Fletcher's the, the Leafs. Fletcher. <laughs> He's yes, like a thousand yes. years old. Yeah. Okay. Let me, ta- <laughs> let, let me just take, take that. I'm nope. That's staying in. <laughs> this one's staying. Uh, God damn it. I can't make it through a single episode. Um, I just wonder if the other GMs, Chuck Fletcher and his brethren, might just kind of look at that Toffoli deal as an outlier and throw it out as a comparable just because yeah, it, it, I, I agree it, with it you, really Nick. isn't a strong deal. I think that um, yeah. I, I think that if if you are the uh, the team that's that's trying to acquire a rental or trying to add, you're trying to frantically point at the Toffoli deal and see, say, see, see, they, they only had to pay that. And if you're the guy who actually has yeah. the asset, you're saying, okay, don't fucking pay it. I'll go to the one of the other five teams that wants them. You know, like it's it's yeah. I, it might have a marginal effect, but really the effect is just on the teams that took part in that deal and everyone else is envious of fuck. Why couldn't I get that kind of a return? And it, and that's why I love striking early on the trade deadline. Like I, I would be yeah. doing it now kind of thing. Like I, yeah, Calgary did well. Calgary, Calgary could not have played that any better. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, and, and just before we move off the Habs, just wanted to note, uh, Oh, and three under Martin St. Louis. Have they won their 10th game yet? Um, I, no, I don't believe so. <laughs> really? Oh man. No, I think you're right. That's bad. Eight thirty three and seven. Whew. They're not even a nine yet. Okay. One step at a time. We can kind of like, you know, give ourselves some cookies here because I think that there may have been some people who might have listened to one of our shows in the off season who thought we were idiots for kind of Mm -hmm. hedging bets on the Habs and thinking that, okay, yeah, they were just in the Stanley Cup finals, but we're not sure if they're going to be a playoff team next year. They're fucking dog shit. Like historically bad. Yeah, I um I, I laughed when I saw some Habs fans. I saw like a, a, a tweet or a headline that was like, you know, the Habs are already feeling the impact of uh, Martin Saint Louis. They're zero and three. They've been outscored twelve to six. <laughs> what what impact are we talking? The under the under thirteen triple A impact is that the? Um, so let's let's chat a bit about um, some other stuff going on. Uh, of course. 
big matchup Wednesday night, Canada, USA, uh, women's Olympic final, Canada trying to avenge the uh, shootout loss from 2018, which feels like literally a lifetime ago. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But this is going to be great. I I think you guys watched some of that game from the preliminary round. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. This is going to be a dandy. Canada has been lights out. Like I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Canada wins this, fellas. I've been scared of this American program for a while, especially back like around 2018 yeah. when they actually won that. You know, they've the thing is like the Americans have been the, been the much better team at the World Championships for the most part the last few years. So I, I was really worried about you know the state of Canada's program versus the state of the the American program, and, and you know not just the fact that obviously Brianna Decker is out for for the states for this tournament, but um, Man, I've been impressed by the youth. We talked about Sarah Fillier, but Claire Thompson Claire having Thompson, a record-setting yeah, uh, Olympics right now. Um, they have been awesome. Sarah Nurse is having a hell of a tournament, too. Leading scorer. Yeah. The, the, there's been some incredible performances by the Canadian ladies in this tournament. Yeah, I, I think they're destined for gold. It would be a, a, it would be a shock to me, personally, if they don't come away with the gold. It, it's going to be a battle. It always is. They always are, man. These kids, these uh, are the best. I'm just so confident hunt. in this team. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, they're so good. It just seems like a better, it just seems like a clearly better squad. And that's not always the case. At least that's how it looked to me in the preliminary round. And I've tried to watch, you know, a bit of their other games. But um, I, I just, it feels like Canada's got the horses to, to you know, really take it to them here. And and again, they, you know, there are some big contributions from from young players let's let's see how they kind of acquit themselves once they get in the bright lights of the gold medal game but ah uh, man there's so much talent on this team it's it's been a blast to watch them yeah yeah the the late starts have been killing me i've <laughs> been able to to uh, my mornings have been nuts at work like i but i fully cleared the schedule the next day so i can stay up like however long like 4 a.m or whatever it's gonna be yeah yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be yeah. fun. Uh, a lot more entertaining than the uh, Canada-USA game on the men's side from uh, what was the last week or a few days ago. Um, yeah, we didn't even get any points out of Matt Nyes in that game. <laughs> uh, I, I, I lied, I guess, on the last episode when I said I wouldn't tune in for a lick of it. I, I've watched a very little bit uh, of Canada's games. And uh, my only takeaway, Eric Stahl, absolutely Done and, done and dusted. Washed. Just done and dusted. <laughs> yeah. Dude was horrendous against the States. I've watched about I've watched about fifteen minutes of men's hockey, but if you guys want to chat snowboard cross, <laughs> I have not missed a minute. I, I, I just wanted to note on Eric Stahl, like we don't talk enough about the fact that the Hurricanes reunited Eric and Jordan Stahl. They played together for like three seasons and then Carolina sent Eric packing and gave Jordan the C. <laughs> like we sorry, we've got our stall. We're good. Enjoy the big apple. <laughs> great franchise just a great one just before we move off the olympics nick you mentioned knives uh both he and and uh nick abrazesi they, they've they've had a pretty good tournament here um are they playing on a line have they been on a line all tournament long yeah they're playing on the same line uh, centered by maddie veneers pretty fun line to watch actually um Nyes has kind of played a bigger role i, I think that um abrazesi's been taken off that line here and there just used a little bit more sparingly. And I think Nyes has got a, a bit more special teams time as well, or power play time as well. But yeah, both players have really, really acquitted themselves well early on. It, it was more of a, a question for Nyes, how he was going to handle 
the step up in competition just because he's that much younger. Like Abrazasi's already 22 years old, set to turn 23 in June. But it, I, I think that his performance it may be even more enlightening in terms of just when he's going to be potentially making an impact or just the fact that he might be able to potentially make an impact. I think, you know, after last year, he didn't play all season. Uh, not only did Harvard cancel their winter sports programs during the pandemic, Abrazesi also went underwent hip surgery. So he wasn't even really on the ice for, for most of last season. And, it, you know, a smaller guy, a mid-round pick, was always kind of a, a, a long-term project. But he's been outstanding for Harvard ever since he's stepped foot on campus. And he's had a great tournament for the Americans, you know, three points and three games through the uh, preliminary round, his speed and hands. And just, it's always been about the intelligence with him. And just to kind of see that translate against this level of competition has been really exciting. I think that uh, he's a guy you're going to see the Leafs tendering an entry level deal to whenever Harvard's season wraps up. And you you never know, he might get into a couple NHL games down the stretch, depending how things work out injury wise and things like that. But yeah, I definitely foresee Abrazesi uh, being signed to a deal sometime this spring. And I, I know that Nyes isn't necessarily like a clear-cut number one prospect for the Leafs, and I feel – and he's not he's, – he's like, you know, guys like Robertson and, and uh, Amirov and Diemela might be more like raw skill talent than him, but am I off base thinking that like he's the only guy that I wouldn't want to trade right now just because of the kind of like – rarity of his skill set i don't think you're off base at all and i i don't even think that i could argue that you'd be off base calling him their top prospect right now i think it's it, it is that group of becoming four, that yeah. like robertson amirov niemala and uh nice but just it, it, you always hate to see teams drafting for need and i don't think that's what the leafs did here i think that they really took the best player that they thought was available to them, you know, just judging by their past, they've never been a team to kind of draft for need or, or things like that. But just the fact that he is such kind of a unicorn in their system and the way that you can see his game translating to the NHL level, it's the way that he is able to impact the game. It's his doggedness on the puck. It's his strength along the boards, the way that he can utilize his strength and his hands to make plays coming off the wall and get pucks into middle ice. And he's just a really well-rounded, unique skill set, especially for the Leafs system. And I I would have him as my most untouchable prospect heading into the deadline. I think I saw our friend of the show, Kyle Cushman. I think he, he mentioned on Twitter that uh, one of the things that maybe you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves or, or at least pump the brakes a little bit on nice is that he's playing on a pretty damn good NCAA team in Minnesota. Is that, is that fair to say like in your kind of take on him is that, you know, his production in the NCAA, but then I guess he's doing it now on at the Olympics too. Yeah, no, I think Kyle is right. And I kind of made the joke with him on Twitter that, you know, it, it's, it's largely been, him and myself and a few other people on Twitter who are always, you know, posting clips of Nyes and things like that, who have kind of been pumping his tires all season long. And now we're the ones that are kind of telling people to reel it in a little bit, you know, everyone penciling him into the the Leafs top six this spring or the beginning of next season and things like that. I still think that he's probably destined for at least another year of college hockey, if not two. Um, But, and I do think Kyle is, is correct in his take there. The one thing I will say is that, while Minnesota is a very good team, Nyes is a big part of that. 
he he's playing in the, the top six as a freshman and he's been an impactful player for them almost every night i've watched a lot of the the gophers games this season um he he is making things happen for himself um but also utilizing his line mates and, and just kind of reading off them well i i think that the fact that he's playing for such a strong program you know does kind of put an asterisk next to the results maybe slightly or the offensive production sorry but I, I wouldn't really put a lot of stock into that so much as I, I think I would just kind of pump the brakes on penciling him into the Leafs lineup in the next couple months here yeah he, he's been great um, but he, he's also been playing with very good players uh, you know in, in all Myers, these great yeah. yeah in all of these great uh, performances like whether it's the juniors or the Olympics or, or even just like you said at Minnesota Ben Myers is going to be signed this year um, I mean, but, but you know, he, he's done things to put himself in those positions and earn those minutes and absolutely, stuff and, and, and take advantage yeah. of those minutes and opportunities more importantly. Right. I think that's what you want to see from a young player. If they're given those chances and put into those roles to have success. And, you know, so far Nyes has found success at pretty well every turn. Yeah. I, I think that the thing with him is that uh, like, while we're talking about prospects and, and who the top prospect is like, um, the thing with Nyes more than any of the other guys in the Leaf system is it feels like you just don't know what his ceiling is. Like you're starting to yeah. get a sense of what Robertson's ceiling is, and uh, you know probably Niemela and, and uh, Amirov to to a lesser extent, who obviously hasn't played as much. But you look at Nyes, and, and there's so much you could project onto that guy right now that it's going to take a little more time to kind of figure out what what he's going to be. Yeah, and conversely, you could say that his floor is you know the easiest to see out of all of those guys too, right? Like even if Nyes doesn't pan out to be a, a you know an offensive beast in the top six. He's going to be a really, really strong third liner in the NHL at worst. I feel pretty confident saying that at this point. And I don't know if you can make the same kind of assumptions about a guy like Amirov or even Robertson. I, as much confidence as I have in him, you know, figuring it out at the NHL level. And, you know, even Niemela is like a 19 year old defenseman who's having a really strong season in the Finnish Pro League. But I don't necessarily think that his floor is as projectable as Matthew Nyes is. Um, we got to wrap this one up, but before we do, uh, Super Bowl in the books. How's the bankroll looking? Uh, what did you guys think of the game? A- any comments as another NFL season comes to a close? Uh, I didn't win a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did not make any money betting. Great game. Um, I, you know, the NFL playoffs as a whole were incredible this year, but not on my betting app. <laughs> yeah, ditto for me. I had a good one, fellas. Yeah, you you, you picked the Rams ahead of the season, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I, I get the uh, added bonus of not only winning money, but feeling really fucking smart by picking the team before the season <laughs> even started, you know? Plus 1,200 on the Rams at 10 bucks, not a bad little payout. And uh, I, I, I will say I, I'm in a little bit of a dispute with Bodog at the moment. Their whole parlay system went to shit on the night of Super Bowl Sunday. Great time for that to happen. And they double charged me for a bet. We are in it right now. And I may be looking for <laughs> a recommendation for my next betting app. I know you guys are bet three, six, five guys. So please uh, audience interaction. We love to do it when, when we can do it. It's not something that, you know, we, we probably do enough of, but I, I am begging you who, who's going to hook me up with the deal. Uh, on my next betting app now that Bodog is fucking around. 
That is what I ask <laughs> you. Um, where, where I can place my next brain genius NFL offseason bets. Um, great, yeah, great Cameron's game. views are his own. They do not reflect the views of the Lamented Elites <laughs> or Nick Richard and Keith Whip. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Bet365. <laughs> but we would be if they wanted. Uh, Aaron Donald and Sean McVay may be not back next year question mark i didn't see anything about mcveigh but i did hear the report that donald would consider retirement if consider they were it, well yeah. consider and then after the game he was like i'm just gonna focus on this right now which means yeah i'm done <laughs> uh mcveigh supposedly um i guess he's engaged you know he's gonna start a family soon he's still a relatively young guy like he's not even 40 yet right um, he's the youngest coach in the nfl he's 36 he, he has a coaching tree he has a huge coaching tree <laughs> it's insane and he's just kind of toying around Around now with the idea of oh maybe I'll just go and do media and make probably more money doing media than than coaching and not have to put in you know twenty hour days every day. Um, That's interesting. He's got kind of the personality that would probably do pretty well. Like yeah, he, he would kind of could yeah. be a negotiating ploy. I don't know why, but we'll see. But also a guy like that, he could he could walk away for five years and come back and still be young. For yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um. So we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Leafs back at home Thursday, fifty percent capacity. Unless Doug Ford decides to decides to change his fucking mind between now and then, who knows? <laughs> um, but the Penguins Thursday and St. Louis on Saturday. So I mean, it's it's been a good stretch here. You know, you get the Flames, you get the Hurricanes, you get the Pens, you get the Blues. Um, Some good teams and. Yeah, and then it's the Habs, the Blue Jackets, Red Wings. So try to make some hay. Yeah, set, if you want to set yourself up going into those games. Yeah. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. We'll uh, do it again next week. Peace out, boys. Peace out.